So today we're looking at what happened when Paul um, brought the good news of Jesus to the city of Athens. Um, and that's what's been recorded for us in that second reading, Acts chapter 17, the second half of it. Um, we're not going to talk about Acts 18. Um, I'm not going to touch on that today. If you want to know more about Paul in Corinth, grab me afterwards. I'd love to chat to you. Um, but we're going to look at this unique uh, part of Acts uh, that Nicola read to us and see what God has to say to us um, from it. And so Paul arrives in Athens. Um, that's what happens in, in Acts uh, 17, the second half. And to be honest, he doesn't get off to a good start. Um, Look with me at Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 18, on page 1113, if you've closed the Bibles. So he's arrived in Athens, and this this is what happens. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul's there in the marketplace, uh, sharing the good news of the risen Jesus with the people of Athens, and the people of Athens don't get it. They're either saying um, that they just don't understand, or they're thinking, okay, Paul's talking about some foreign gods, some new gods that maybe we need to add to our set of gods, but probably have nothing to do with us. What is this babbler trying to say? Well, maybe it's some foreign god that's distant from us. And I wonder... Is that so far away from our experience if we're Christians here today in 21st century London? Does it feel like following Jesus is following a foreign God in this city? Because if, if gods are just the things that we worship, the things we, we make number one in our lives, the things we, we value above all else, what are the native gods of London? The God of success of self-fulfillment, of money, of beauty. Jesus certainly isn't the native God of this city. And so we're left feeling like we're following a foreign God. Or maybe think about, if you're a Christian, think about the times where you're just trying to, I'm not thinking here about sharing the gospel, I'm thinking about just trying to explain your life to other people, right? Just explain why you do the things you do and why you see the world the way you see it does it ever feel like people are sitting there and they're, they're too polite to say it, but they're thinking, what is that babbler trying to say? It's not that they necessarily disagree with what you're saying. It's just there's this kind of incomprehension, this gap. They don't understand, they just don't seem to get it. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're not sure you're a Christian. It's, it's great to have you with us. If you're honest, sometimes when people talk about Jesus or Christianity, when people stand up at the front like me and start talking from the Bible, are you sitting there thinking, what, what is that babbler trying to say? It'd be too polite to say it, but that's how it feels. It feels like there's this huge gap between normal life and normal people and normal stuff and reality and day-to-day life in this city and over here, and you've got Jesus and Christianity and God over there, and there's this huge disconnect. And so it feels like if we try to follow Jesus, we're having to kind of jump out of normal life, do something that just feels, to be honest, pretty nonsensical, pretty weird, pretty distant from other things. Or or we end up boxing up our life, right? So I can come to church and be a Christian on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, I've got to live in the real world. 
Or if we, if we are able to bring our faith across into real life, it's just one option among many. It's just something that helps me, right? So, so, so you know, for me as a Christian, it helps me to believe in Jesus and to trust in him. But for you, if that's yoga, if that's the new diet, right? It's, it's just one option among many. Well, God has given us this part of his word to blow that way of thinking out of the water. To reveal that that isn't the world we live in. That isn't the reality of our existence. What Paul proclaimed to the people of Athens, God proclaims to us here today, that he is not distant. He is no foreign God. He is not an add-on. He is not one option among many. No, he is the God of everything and every moment, and every one. He's the God of everything, and every moment, and every one. He's the God of everything. Uh, Look with me at verse 24. As Paul really hits his stride. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Think about that for a minute. God who made the world and everything in it. The entire universe exists because God chose to make it. The entire universe exists as a result of one creative act of this true and living God. I don't know if you've seen this week that the first pictures have come back from the new uh, James Webb Space Telescope that's been set into the deep reaches of space. Here's one coming up on the screen now. Every dot on that image is a galaxy. So if it's got spikes coming out of it, it's a star, it's close to us. But every dot on that image is a galaxy, every single one. Every single galaxy contains millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of stars, every single one of them. Every galaxy made by the will of God. Every star made by God. Every planet made by God. On this planet, every mountain formed by God, every tree sculptured by God, every leaf formed by God, every cell of your body, each a miniature marvel made by God. He's the God of everything. He's the God of everything And he is the God of every moment. Because it's not like God set the universe off running and then stood back and just watched it happen. Now have a look with me at verse 25. Rather, Paul says, he, that is God himself, gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Verse 28, in him... We live and move and have our being. So God didn't just make the world as if that wasn't enough. No, he sustains the world moment by moment. 
breath by breath. The world doesn't keep on existing naturally. We don't keep on existing just because that's the way things are. We keep on existing because God in love keeps on choosing, as that one creative act continues, keeps on holding us in existence. Moment by moment. He's giving us the gift of life, second by second. Take a moment and, and... Concentrate on your breathing. So just think for a minute and think about your breathing. Just in and out. God gave you that breath. Think about the 8 billion people living on this planet right now. That's 8 billion breaths right now. Every moment, in and out. Eight million breaths given by God, moment by moment. In him we live and move and have our being. He is the God of every moment. And he is the God of every one. Verse 26, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So God is not the God of one nation or one ethnic group or one kind of people. He is the God who made all nations who rules over the whole of human history. And he directs human history so that human beings made in his image, made to know him, might seek him, might reach out for him, and perhaps find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. He's not far from anyone. Think about the last time you were on the tube or on the bus or maybe in the queue at the supermarket or at the school gate. And like in your minds, I have a look around at all those people in the carriage or on the bus or in the queue. People of all different ages, from all different countries, of very different stories. God is not far from any one of them. God is not far from any one of them. He, he is ordering all things that each one might seek and reach out and find him. He's the God of everything, of every moment, and of every one. And that is the most fundamental reality of the world we live in. That's the fundamental truth about our existence and about this world is that God is the God of every one and every moment and everything. And the modern world has pulled off this incredible con trick, right? It's persuaded us that over here you've got um, normal life, normal people, reality, all the stuff around us just kind of running itself somehow. And then over here you've got God, Christianity, Jesus. When the truth is that 
Normal people, normal life, normal stuff, day to day, every single thing, all the people and stuff around us, all of it made by God. Sustained by God. Directed by God. There's no gap. Say you're enjoying lunch with your friends in the park, right? Nothing more normal than that. Normal life. God made the sun to give you warmth. Fashioned the tree to give you shade. Every breath you take to talk to a friend or to laugh together is a gift from God. He's directed human history so that you would be in that place with those people at that time. He's right there. He's not far from any one of us. In him we live and move and have our being. And so when we worship the one true God, when we follow Jesus, when we call ourselves a Christian, we're not going out on a limb. It's not an unusual lifestyle choice. We're not choosing to follow a strange foreign God. We are deciding to live in light of reality. We're going with the grain of how things actually are. What's actually true about the world that we live in. We're not projecting it onto the world. We're not imagining it to be there. We're actually seeing what is there, the God who is there. Everything, every moment, everyone. Uh, Let me put it like this. To not see God... To not see his presence, having made and sustaining and directing all things, is like seeing the whole world in black and white. Right? Imagine just pretending that colour didn't exist. It's there. Colour's really there. Well, in the same way, in a similar way, God is really there. Sustaining and directing all that he has made. And so to worship God is just to open our eyes to what's there. And to see in colour, maybe for the first time. To live in light of what the world is really like. To see the truth of the God, who is the God of everything, of every moment, and of everyone. How much of the time do you think we live in colour? How much of the time do we see the reality that everything around us is upheld and sustained by God? And how much of the time do we live as if he isn't there at all? How much of the time do we live as if he isn't there at all? And so we're called to turn back to God. We are called to turn back to God. Look with me at verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So God commands everyone to repent. And that just means to turn away from other gods. To turn away from the the idols of first century Athens, yes, but also to turn away from putting success or self-fulfillment or money as the ultimate in 21st century London. 
He commands us to turn away from other gods and to turn back to him, the one true God. And we're commanded to repent because judgment is coming. God will judge the world with justice through Jesus, and he's proved it by raising Jesus from the dead. Because here's the thing, if God is the God of everything, of every moment, of everyone, then every human being owes God an account of what they've done with all that, right? If everything's a gift from him, everybody owes God an account of what they've done with it. And the problem is, the bad news is that on our own, none of us stand in that judgment. None of us can stand in the face of that. After all the times we've lived as if God isn't even there. But the good news, the good news of Jesus is there's one who can stand. Because there's one man who lived every moment of his life in light of the reality of God. He lived his entire life in full colour. And if we follow him, if we worship him, if we unite ourselves to him, then we can look and face the coming judgment of God without fear because we're trusting not in ourselves, but in him. We face the judgment without fear and we know that we will share in his glorious, open to God all the time life, now and forever. So because God is the God of every thing and every moment and everyone, we are called to turn back to God. And because God is the God of everything and every moment and everyone, we are to call others back to God. So when Paul arrives in Athens, he sees a city full of other gods, full of idols, right? A bit like London, full of other gods. And Paul's not intimidated by that. He doesn't suddenly think, oh, maybe I've got God wrong after all. Look at all these guys with their idols. Maybe I'm going to lose an argument to those clever Athenian philosophers. And Paul's not indifferent. He doesn't look at Athens and think, oh, yeah, they've got God sorted, haven't they? That's lovely. It's good for them. Jesus works for me. They've got Zeus and the rest of them. That'll be fine. He's not even just sad at people lost without God. Instead, Luke tells us that Paul was greatly distressed. That's what it says in verse 16. Paul was greatly distressed. And and in in Greek, which is the language that Acts was originally written in, that, that word, greatly distressed, speaks of a kind of righteous anger, a good and healthy jealousy that Paul had. Because when Paul looks at Athens, what he sees isn't the beautiful buildings or the clever people. He sees a city full of human beings, created by God in his image, sustained by him, moment by moment, breath by breath, directed by him, all of whom are ignoring him. And it gets under his skin because he sees God there upholding it all and no one's paying God any attention. God's being robbed of the honour and glory and worship that is due to him, that is his right. And that, by the way, is the good for us too. And so part of starting to 
see that God really is making and sustaining everything. He is the God of everyone. It's to start to see London, see our communities, our neighbourhoods, like Paul sees Athens. I don't know about you, I don't see things that way. I don't look at my, my friends or my neighbours or the people around and think, there goes someone who's being given their existence moment by moment by God. There goes someone whose whole life's been directed by God and, and who is ignoring him. It, it gets under your skin when you don't get the credit you deserve, right? Whether it's at work or at home. If you don't get the credit you deserve, that annoys you, right? It annoys me, right? I'm praying that it would start to annoy me in the same way, get under my skin when I see God not getting the glory that he deserves. And that by his grace, I do something about it. Start sharing the good news of Jesus, calling people back to God so that he might have the glory and honour that he deserves. And by the way, when we do that, if we're seeing that God is the God of everything and everyone and every moment, then we're not imposing our ideas on other people. We're not saying, oh, you know, what happens to help me might also help you. Because it's not neutral territory. Everything is God's. It's his ground. And so by the power of the Spirit, all we're trying to do is open people's eyes to what is already there. It's the reality that every single one of us lives in, upheld by this God. So to worship God, to follow Jesus in London today can feel like following a foreign God. It feels like there's this huge gap between real life, normal life, normal stuff, and our faith and God and Jesus over here, right? And, and to be honest, it can feel like at times we've got no choice but to live some or most of our lives as if God isn't there because we've got to live in the real world. How can I possibly live as if God is there? It's just not true. It's just not true. God is the God of everything and every moment and everyone. Ask him to open your eyes that you might see that. When you step outside into the sun, take a moment to feel the warmth in your skin. Because God made the sun. He formed it. He gives it its power. When you arrive at work, or um, just at your desk at home, or, or go to the supermarket or whatever, breathe in and out. Because God is sustaining you in that moment as you arrive. And in the moment after, and the moment after, and the moment after. He's the God of that moment. And when there's a chance, maybe at the pub after work, at the school gate, wherever, to, to share something the good news of Jesus, take a moment and look, look at the person that you've got, you're with, and think for a second about what is true. That here is someone made and sustained, loved, directed by God. God is not far from anyone. He's not far from them. He wants them to seek 
and to reach out and maybe to find him. Let's pray together. Almighty God, creator and sustainer of all things, we confess that we so often live as if you are not there. By the power of your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see you and your presence in all things, upholding all things. Most of all, open our eyes to see Jesus, the one in whom you have delivered us from judgment and offered us full and perfect life. In his name we pray. Amen.